It is great to see your faces. Like, for real, it is great to see. When, when I came, uh, even over the summer, to candidate, it was the first week that masks were mandated. So this is literally the first time I'm seeing some of you, and it's great. It, it reminds me, uh, about a month ago, we had Men's Advance, and Brad and Stacy did an amazing job planning it, putting it together, and uh, we got to have breakfast together. And of course, when you eat breakfast, you have to take your masks off. So it's the first time I'm in this room with all these guys and their masks are off. And I'm thinking, they're way better looking than I imagined. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, you don't know. You don't know. It's a mask. I feel incredible joy and excitement to be able to worship again in some freedom. As much as I talk about this sort of freedom and as happy as I am uh, about being able to worship in that freedom... I'm more excited for what the Lord has done. The freedom that we have in Christ is immeasurably better than worshiping without a mask. And we have to go to that place. In fact, today, that's exactly where we're going to go as we talk about this freedom that we have. The children of Israel go from slavery to the promised land, and there's this big journey in between, and we're going to talk about that. It's just 40 chapters, and the air condition's not working today, so I hope you're ready. <laughs> but we are going to have some fun together. One of, one of the things that uh, Matt and I did when we sat down and started talking about this series is we said, you know, we, we want to be able to look at uh, historical events and we want to be able to look at uh, the, the Bible specifically and go, okay, in these historical events, what are principles that we can pull out? And more specifically, how do we see Jesus at work in these places? And so, as we talk about Exodus, I'm reminded if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. If the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. The Old Testament conceals what the New Testament reveals, and we see that laid out in a very clear way in the book of Exodus. So I hope you're ready for this journey. I hope you're excited about it. Again, when Matt and I looked at this, we said, uh, this is an amazing God. When you look at Genesis uh, all the way through Revelation, this is an amazing God who is telling his story to us his interaction with mankind, and the freedom that he wants mankind to live in. It's an amazing story. It's a beautiful story. And so I'm starting with this question, how big is our God? How big is our God? Now, it's really easy to say God is, God is great when we get the mask mandate lifted, right? Like, that's easy. Uh, or maybe even when we have a cold. Ah, I'm not feeling well, but God's still good. God's going to meet me in this place. But what happens when life gets really difficult, when there's more month than paycheck? What happens when the disease is bigger than a flu bug? What, what happens when life situations don't go the way that we envision them to go? What happens when a spouse is unfaithful? What happens when a child goes a different way? Is God still that big. How big is our God? And we're going to see this played out throughout scriptures, but in a special way throughout the book of Exodus. So would you join me as we pray? And, and as we pray, I just want to tell you this. Here is my hope for our time together. That if there is any 
How do I want to say it? If there is any area of our lives that is being held back from Christ, I'm asking God for complete deliverance. And, and that might be spiritual. It may be a demonization that has occurred. Uh, let's get some freedom today. It may be mental and emotional. Let's get some freedom today. It may be spiritual. Let's get some freedom today. It may be flesh. Let's get over it and let's get freedom today. Church, would you be willing to go with me to that place? Let's pray. Almighty God, we, we are asking for your work right now. Holy Spirit, we are asking for you to move in this place. And with this group of people, there is no doubt uh, someone, even in this room, someone online who <laughs> is in one of these categories. Lord, we've all been there. And we're all, we all want to return back to Egypt for some silly reason. Egypt, on the, as we're going through difficult times, seems really good. Lord, there's food there that we don't have in, in, uh, in the desert. Lord, there are things that occurred in Egypt that, that seem nice as we're on the journey. Lord, let us forsake Egypt completely. Let us turn our backs from that. And let us walk towards freedom in you. Because we believe, almighty God, that your word is true. And if your word is true, then when the sun sets us free, we're free indeed. And so, Holy Spirit, do your work here today in each of our hearts individually and in our lives corporately. We love you and we thank you and praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that Exodus is an historical event. This really took place. I believe that. I think there's archaeological evidence. I think that we can trust the scriptures that's been proven time and time again. As I say that, I also recognize that the Holy Spirit is the author of the scriptures. Because the Holy Spirit is the author of scriptures, he's weaving a message throughout it that applies to us beyond the moment. And that is certainly true in Exodus. When we look through the flow of Exodus, this is what we have. We have the need and the deliverer. And by the way, I want you to be thinking about in your own mind who that deliverer is. We're going to talk about that in just a few moments. But what we're really identifying is death. There, there is death. And death has to be addressed. The way of deliverance, and we're talking about coming alive the movement of Mount, to Mount Sinai, and we're talking about the journey. We'll talk about the Torah. And uh, with respect to the Torah, we're talking about truths. And then we're going to talk about the plan and construction of the tabernacle, and that's discipline. So we only have 40 chapters to go through and about 25 minutes. So buckle up and get ready for the ride because we're about to have some fun. And I'm, just so you know, uh, I'm going to spend the majority of our time in this first part, then the second part, and we're going to highlight the end, okay? Just so you're aware of that, so you're not like, he just spent 20 minutes on this first part, and we still have four more to go? Oh, mercy. I don't want you to be in that spot, okay? So that's why I told you. You're welcome. All right. <laughs> the, the need and the deliverer, okay? So this is the flow of Exodus in chapters 1 through 11. We see the slavery of Israel in Egypt. We see Moses the first 40 years, and then Moses through the burning bush. Then Moses returned to Egypt. And then we see Moses 
versus Pharaoh in this section. So in this section, we see this really cool flow. But I want us to identify, first of all, the need. Uh, Why do they have to leave Egypt in the first place? And then I want to identify who is the deliverer, because the answer to that question matters. It's going to matter in some big ways. And I want you to be thinking about, just in the back of your head, is there anything that I've been holding back? In other words, is there an area in my life, or maybe my whole life, that is still stuck in Egypt? So just kind of have that as you're chewing on these things. Let's go ahead and move forward. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. By the way, if you have your Bibles, I strongly encourage you to get it out. Highlight, underline stuff. It's a fantastic practice. Write notes off to the side if, if you can. Uh, wonderful practice. Just never, ever, ever mark anything out, okay? That's very bad. You don't want to do that. So Exodus chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 8, and we're going to read through to verse 17. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Remember that God called Abraham into the promised land. His children uh, grew up in the promised land. Joseph gets sold into slavery in Egypt. Joseph rises out of slavery and becomes the number two person in all of Egypt. The children of Israel come back to Egypt, and it's there they start to grow. So here we identify that the Pharaoh that's in charge doesn't know this Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to affect them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities in Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. So the first part of this is they're putting undue burdens on them and then force them into slavery. But it gets worse. And made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua. Real common names if you're thinking of child names. There you go. (laughs) When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. If you have your Bibles out, I would encourage you to underline that. That phrase, feared God, is a major, major, major principle throughout all of Scripture, but we see it in a special light in Exodus. The midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the midwives feared God. And in fearing God, they make a very conscious choice. I'm going to choose God over the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. And there might be some consequences to that. So a child is born, and we get to this part of deliverer. Who is the deliverer? Well, let's look at this. Many people would say it's Moses. 
in Exodus chapter 2, verse 10. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. And many of you are very familiar with the story of Moses, how uh, to save this child, this mother sends him down the river. The sister follows at a distance. Miriam follows at a distance, goes to the house of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's daughter brings in this child. The, the Miriam, the sister of the child, Moses, says, do you need someone to care for, to nurse this child? Yeah, actually I do. I have someone in mind. She goes and gets mom, and mom nurses this baby. And then Pharaoh, uh, Moses goes back into Pharaoh's home, and, Pharaoh, and this baby is named Moses. And Moses grows up in the household of Pharaoh. Now, it's, it's in this place that Moses presumably starts to recognize his role of leadership over the Hebrews. He starts to recognize that he's not Egyptian, but he has a role with the Hebrews. And so one day he goes out and he sees an Egyptian mistreating one of the Hebrews. And he kills the Egyptian and hides the body. Soon thereafter, Moses is out with the Hebrews again and he sees two Hebrews fighting. And he stops them. And in stopping them, one of them challenges him and says, what, will you kill us like you did the Egyptian? Moses recognizes that he's been had. And he runs out of Egypt and goes to a place called Midian. While he's in Midian, uh, as he comes on to Midian, he protects these women from some bandits. And protecting these women, he's rewarded and ends up marrying Zipporah, the daughter of Jethro, the priest of Midian. So for 40 years, he becomes a shepherd under his father-in-law. I got to believe that being a shepherd is a little bit different than growing up in the household of Pharaoh. It's a little different. There's some humility that Moses is learning, some life skills that he's learning. And as Moses goes out, he sees this bush that's burning. Presumably, he's seen that before. But what he hasn't seen is that this bush continues to burn. It, it doesn't stop burning. It continues as if there's more fuel there, but the, the bush isn't burning down, and it's a peculiar thing, so he walks over to see what's going on. And that's where we pick up in chapter 3, verse 7, when we find out who the deliverer is. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. A land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So God recognizes that now Moses is in this place of humility and he's willing to use Moses. Moses is a vessel. Now, there's a lot more to the story that we can go into at this point, how Moses kind of rejects this, and God calls out to him again, and God says, you tell him I sent you, and Moses says, ah, I'm not great with speech. I've been in the wilderness for 40 years, and he says, okay, well, I'll have Aaron speak for him. There's a lot, there's a lot more to the story. But he ends up going back to Pharaoh, 
he ends up going back to Pharaoh. Now, this in and of itself is a step of faith because who knows what the records say, right? I mean, it could be that Moses is a wanted man, even though God tells him uh, the person who was after you has died. Who knows? It's still a step of faith. Moses takes that step of faith and goes in front of Pharaoh. And uh, he has some messages for Pharaoh. Let my people go, right? You know the story. Let my people go. And Pharaoh goes, oh, yeah, thanks for coming. Sure, absolutely. Go ahead. See you later. Uh, No, that's not what happens. His heart is hardened, right? And in his heart getting hardened, God starts to deliver these plagues to loosen things up. And also, there, again, there's more to it. There, these plagues represents the deity around them, and God is showing that he's greater than these deity around them. There's a lot more to the story, but the bottom line is that, that God is working in the lives of the children of Israel. You can trust me. I'm going to deliver. And God is also working in Egypt. You need to let him go. And it's going to take some time as he goes through there. But here's, the, here's where I'd like to park and spend some time. And that's on this, this horrible, horrible world system. In 1 John chapter 2, we see this world system as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These three things work out the world system. The default in this world without the Lord is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we see that lived out even in Egypt during these times. Now, earlier I said these are historical facts, but there are some principles that apply to us, right? This may be one of those times. If we would have eyes to see it, Pharaoh could represent Satan. He could also represent the world system. Uh, There have been commentators who have taken both sides on that. What I'd like you to do is consider the ramifications of what Pharaoh is going to suggest. Let my people go. Okay, here's some plagues. All right, let's make a deal, Moses. And here's the first one, chapter 8. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, "Go go sacrifice to your God within the land. That sounds like a good compromise, doesn't it? I mean, Pharaoh's given a little. Israel is getting a little. That seems fair. But Moses comes back, and and he has a different idea. And Moses says it this way. If we stay in the land, the way that we worship is abhorrent to Egypt. They will kill us. I don't think it's a good idea to stay in the land. We're not doing that. Think about the ramifications of that. Pharaoh is saying this, you're still mine. You stay in my land. Yeah, you can go on your weekend retreat if you want to, and that's sweet and it's cute, but you're mine. And you don't get away from me. And there are going to be ramifications for what you do. We're watching. And it's abhorrent. In fact, we hate the way that you worship. And when you come back, there are going to be consequences. Moses says, no, 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 that's, that's not going to work. Uh, that's not what God has called us to. That's not the freedom that God has called us to. That's not the victory that he's called us to. That's not the land that he's called us to. So Pharaoh says, okay, good point. Let's talk about this. In verse 28, so Pharaoh said, 
I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away and plead for me. So it's like, okay, buddy, there are these plagues. Why don't you go out and plead for me? You can go outside of the land, but Monday morning you're back in the office. You're still mine. I still own you. Yeah, you can go away, but not too far. You're mine. Don't miss that. What are the ramifications for all of us as we consider this? And think about this world system, less of the flesh, less of the eyes, and the pride of life, and how they would shout this out. Yeah, sure, go ahead and go away for a weekend, but we got our eyes on you. Okay, well, that's not going to work. Okay, maybe just go away for a little bit. You can go just outside the land, but come back on Monday morning and forget that stuff. In other words, what I'm telling you is compartmentalize your faith. That works for you on the weekend, but not on Monday morning. Don't miss what Pharaoh is doing and what this world system has offered over and over and over again. And if we're not wise, we'll fall into the trap because it kind of feels like a great compromise. But then it gets even more sinister. Moses goes away and spends time with God, and in chapter 10, he comes back and says, yeah, that, that, that go outside of the land thing, that's not going to work. And in chapter 10, Pharaoh has a different idea. Okay. So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, go serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses said, we will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, the Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. In other words, if I let that happen, what you just suggested, your God better be with you because there's going to be some consequences. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. Now he's going to try to twist it. Now, go. The men among you and serve the Lord for that is what you're asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Do you get it? Guys, go ahead, do your own thing. But you don't get to take your wives, and you don't get to take your children, and you don't get to take your things. Men, that's just what you do. We take care of the kids. And within a generation when that happens, two generations when that happens, we lose everything. Israel, in this setting, goes from this large mass of people to much smaller. And I could get into why and the historical ramifications of all that. We're not going to, but let your mind go there. What does this mean for us as followers of Christ? I'm going to be quiet. Over here, honey, kids, do whatever. This God thing, this is my box. I'm going to take him out. I'm going to worship him. He's my God. I love him. It's just about this one-on-one -on -one relationship, and there is some truth to that, but we're not going to go here. I'm telling you, that's demonic. That's demonic. That's Satan's plan. That's the world system, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, but that's not God's plan. We'll be talking about that in the days to come as we, as we graduate into Deuteronomy in a couple of weeks. But don't miss this. Don't miss this. Pharaoh wants to take the family. 
Man, are you going to let that happen? Are you just going to walk away? This is just me and you, God. My kids can make their own choice. I was a kid once. Uh, I made really bad choices. In fact, Scripture says that folly is in the heart of the youth. Not because youth are bad or mean. It's just we need some guidance. Dads, moms, lead them to the Lord. Well, we'll let them take their. Own, we'll let them make their own choices. You know what their choice is going to be? Sleep in on Sunday. That's the choice. Now, honey, we love the Lord, and we have seen God work in some incredible ways. Let me tell you my story and how God has worked in my life, and I want that for you. And if you just decide that sleeping in is better than experiencing the living the living God, you're going to miss out on incredible freedom throughout your whole life. And by the way, I'm in a position right now where you are in your life, then I'm just not going to let that happen to you because I love you. That's the call in this. By the way, I recognize that not everyone has made that choice 100% of the time, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. I get that. I get that. Please understand this is a part of deliverance. This is part of walking away from slavery and into the promised land. Pharaoh has one more sneaky idea. One more sneaky idea, and it's significant. Exodus chapter 10, verse 24. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. That sounds like, again, great compromise. You get the people. Isn't it about the people? Well, sort of. Moses calls, calls him out in it, though. Here's the issue. If they do this, there's no sacrifice. There's no sacrifice. You can't give to the Lord what's the Lord's. There's no sacrifice. Pharaoh almost got him. It seems reasonable. But there's no sacrifice. And the world system still has that today. Yeah. You guys go do it. Have fun. Enjoy. You know, God just wants you to be happy. And I, that, there's, don't misunderstand me. There is joy. There is, there is even happiness like in the Lord, serving the Lord. There is for sure. But God's call is for holiness. And that holiness involves a sacrificial life. And that sacrificial life calls us to a new standard. And what we find in that sacrificial life, that place of discipline, that there's actually better freedom and more things to enjoy and grace and mercy that abounds in that place, that place of sacrifice. And the children of Israel almost missed it. But Moses, wasn't, he wasn't about that. And God set him free. And in martial array... They left Egypt and started towards the promised land. Before I go there, I want to back up just a little bit and talk about how they got there. And this is in the way of deliverance. So there was deliverance for the children of Israel. Historical event actually happened. But there are some principles that we see come alive in the New Testament that matches this. So let's talk about those. First of all, they get to the 10th plague, and this is the most, uh, this is heartbreaking. Like, this plague is heartbreaking. And God says this to uh, Moses, paraphrased. The angel of death is coming. 
and he's going by each home. And any home that doesn't have the blood of the lamb over the doorposts, the angel of death is going to visit and take the firstborn. Firstborn in the home. It's important that you take the time to put the blood of the lamb over the doorposts if you want freedom. Because you can't get to the promised land if you're dead in Egypt. And so we see this. And then the second piece is the crossing of the Red Sea. Um, and the crossing of the Red Sea is this, this great, it's, it's an 11-day journey, you guys. 11-day journey. And God has them out there at this point for three months. They're, they're wandering around. If, you're, if you map it out, it is not a direct line. God often doesn't give us direct lines. Like, okay, I know the, 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 the quickest road, A to B, right, is a straight line. That's the quickest. God often doesn't work that way. Um, maybe he's working something out. Maybe he's testing our, or challenging our faith and making us lean into him more. There's lots of, I'm not going to try to guess all of the reasons God might do that. But for sure, he has his reasons. And during this time where they're wandering around, Pharaoh goes, well, wait a minute. Uh, we were getting a lot of stuff done when we had slaves. I don't think I like that they did that. And they took our gold with them. Let's go get them. And so now the most powerful nation in the world is chasing this group of slaves. Who, by the way, are being led by a cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. That's different. And so they're, they're chasing them around. And God leads them to the Red Sea. There is a sea in front of them and Pharaoh behind them. This is not a great place to be. I mean, think about how uncomfortable that might be if you're one of the former slaves who are saying, okay, God's been delivering us. We're seeing his work. Moses is saying that God is leading us to this place and now maybe we need something to drink. Maybe we need to take baths. Maybe we need to take care of our cattle and animals in this place. Maybe that's why we're here. But Pharaoh sure is getting close. Like, we're gonna have to go around this place. And God's answer is, I'm going to split the sea and you're going to walk on dry land. Uh, I, I've been around for a while. I've never seen that. Uh, perhaps they're saying the same things. Uh, I've never seen that. But this crossing of the Red Sea and the destruction uh, of the Egyptian army is significant for the children of Israel to live in freedom. God calls Moses, Moses raises his hands, the waters divide, the children of Israel go through on dry land, the Egyptians think that they can take them, they come in after them, the waters crash down on them. There's archaeological evidence, I believe, that, uh, that identifies this historical event. But that issue, that division, that taking a step of faith is significant. So let's talk about these two things. First of all, we identify that Christ is our Passover lamb. That just in the Old Testament, uh, put that blood over the doorpost so that the angel of death passes by. We too have to put that blood over the doorposts of our hearts. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. I, Lord, God, I surrender to you. I want you at work in me and through me. Lord, would you cover me because I can't save myself. I need you blood of Christ over the doorposts of our hearts. Jesus is that sacrificial lamb. He is the one. 
Not just that, but we also identify that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through uh, 4, there's this unique story. And we, we, in the West, we don't think this way. So this is going to be a little bit of a, like a, mm, this, that's kind of weird. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. That's how God led the children of Israel, by cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. And all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, again, the word baptized means to be immersed in. It was a phrase that was used to, like, to dye a clothing, uh, uh, some clothes. So you might say, you might have a, a white garment that you want purple. And so you would take it to somebody. Uh, they would have a vat of purple, a purple dye. They'd stick it in there. They'd stir it around with a stick. They'd pull it up. They'd say, is this purple enough for you? And they go, no, baptize it some more. And so they baptize it some more. Okay, how about this? Yeah, that's the purple I'm looking for. So uh, keep that in mind as we say these words because we, we definitely have a, a cultural bias when we hear the word baptism or baptize. And all were baptized, immersed into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. In other words, this, this baptism of obedience and following Christ, it, it's, that, it's separating, it's not salvation, it's not what saves us, uh, but it, there is this separation of I'm choosing to follow God, and I am dead to sin and death and the slavery of the past, and I want to follow the Lord in obedience to him. This is a big statement. You saw this a few weeks ago here and also happened in Shakopee where people were saying, you know what, publicly, I just want you to know I am about Jesus. I, I am surrendered to him. I have received him as my savior and I want to be obedient to him and in believer's baptism. And I just want publicly, I want people to know I'm following Christ. This is, this is where I'm going in life. I love that. And we see that played out even here. These next, uh, these next sections, I just want to highlight as we go through them because I do believe it's a part of our spiritual walk as we go from being dead to alive to this journey to then identifying some truths. And, and in those truths, walking in some spiritual disciplines. So this next movement from chapters 15 through 18, we see the redemption uh, uh, of Israel. We see um, Mara, the bitter water sweetened by the tree. Remember they go to the water and they're going, oh, this is bitter. We don't like this. And then uh, God supplies a tree to sweeten it up. There's Elam, the wilderness, the manna and quail. By the way, does anybody know what manna means? It means what is it? That's, that's what manna is. What is it? Uh, that's what it is. I made a lot of manna when I first got married. Um, I did. What is that? I don't know. Um, I found it in the fridge, but that's not the man in the scriptures, just so we're clear, so no one comes back to me like, what? Um, all right, and then the smitten rock where uh, God supplies water for them, there's Amalek and the rebellion, and then Jethro, the priest of Midian, taking this, um, this wandering to a place of truths. So Moses is exhausted, and uh, Jethro gives some spiritual truths, well, here, let's, let's try some wisdom here. Have other people under you who are accountable to you to do these things. You don't have to do all of it. Anyways, it's all spelled out there in those chapters. And then the Torah. Sometimes, sometimes we translate the Torah as law. 
It's probably, eh, that's a good translation, but it could also be translated as teaching. The teaching. I I like that idea a lot because it it helps us to understand these spiritual truths. And by the way, it's going to give us a connection to Deuteronomy in a few weeks. Then the Ten Commandments are in this place. uh, And then there's social legislation. Uh, Pastor Matt talked about that a few weeks ago about how to understand um, what laws apply to us and what don't. And then then the plan and construction of the tabernacle. During this time, we start to see some discipline. Uh, this is how God, uh, God wants us to worship. In the Old Testament, there's some freedom in the New Testament, but there's still discipline. And that, that discipline does apply to us. Uh, otherwise, uh, we're going back to Egypt. For us today, we have to ask that question again. Uh, How big is our God? And we're reminded that if the sun sets us free, we're free indeed. So are there some areas that you may be struggling in? Some areas where you feel like, oh, I am stuck in Egypt and I need to get out of Egypt. Like it it is time for me to live in some freedom. Are there some areas where you're struggling with that? And by the way, we all do. I don't want you to think that anyone is, is judging or looking down, like this is a time we can get it together. I am super excited for the fall. Uh, the fall, Pastor Matt and I have been working on something together that he's been working on for years, and that is a, a church-wide discipleship plan. It includes uh, sermons. It includes seminars. Uh, it includes some small groups in our life group studies uh, and some other things that we're super excited about. But for us to really experience it, it means we're going to have to get out of slavery and into the promised land. I'm going to tell you how this has affected me through the years and something that I still struggle with. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't like to admit my weaknesses. Probably everyone here, though, doesn't mind it. But I struggle with it. And one of, one of my weaknesses I've found through the years is that uh, I like to medicate myself with food. I do. Like, when, when I get agitated, when I get nervous, this, even, this happened yesterday, and praise the Lord, I was able to identify, Kenny, you're starting to spiral, and you're going to the fridge, and you're trying to get something that you can only get from Christ. Don't do that. And I'd overeat, and overeat, and medicate, and justify it, and justify it. Meanwhile, I'm gaining weight. Meanwhile... I'm struggling. Meanwhile, it's affecting other things in my life and my health. And I had to get out of that. I had to trust Jesus when I wanted to trust food. For me, a part of my deliverance was where I'm going to be medicated. Am I going to go to the scriptures? Am I going to go to Christ? Or am I going to go to the refrigerator? That may or may not be one for you. If it is, could the Lord deliver you out of that? Maybe yours is something different. Whatever that is, let's take some time now and consider that. In just a few moments, in just a few moments, the uh, ushers are going to come down. And as the ushers come for our offering, I, I'm going to ask you to do two things today. The first thing is pray for us. But Before you place anything in an offering, would you pray for us that we would be wise stewards of what God has given us? 
that we would spend in such a way that would honor God and his kingdom, that it's not about Friendship Church, it's not about Kenny, it's not about Matt, it's not about Shakopee, it's not about Prior Lake, it's about God. And so we want to be wise stewards of what God has given us. So would you pray that way for us? And then secondly, as, as the offering comes, would you just, in, in kind of in your brain, just say, I am offering myself to you again, Lord. I don't want to be stuck in Egypt, I want freedom in the promised land. Would you be willing to do that as the offering comes now and as I pray and the worship team joins us? Lord, we love you and we need you. We thank you and praise you, O Lord, and we ask for your deliverance. We ask, Almighty God, that you would move in this place and through this place and not just in the space between us, but in our own hearts and in our own lives. Lord, that in a very real way, we would, we would go into the freedom that can only be found in the blood of Christ and surrender to him as our Lord and Savior. Because this world system wants us and is calling to us. So deliver us here today. And Lord, as we offer these gifts to you today, Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom to spend wisely and to be good stewards for your glory, that we would steward the gospel of Jesus Christ through the funds that are coming even today, and that, Lord, in a very real way, we are offering ourselves to you again anew. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.